Welcome to Stellar Discussions, a podcast by Public Node members. Public Node is a nonprofit organization led by Stellar community members working together to support the open and inclusive Stellar network. I'm Brian, and I'm joined here by Public Node founder Daniel. And today we're going to be talking about two interrelated topics correlation in cryptocurrency prices and markets, as well as the SEC lawsuit against Ripple. Uh, Daniel, why don't you kick us off and tell us a little bit about our topics today? Yeah, so actually, let's just take them one piece at a time. So let's talk about the first one, and that's the markets and cryptocurrency markets. And we're all watching them. We all have our favorite index that we look at and watch them. And, and in my experience, and I think looking at the forums and looking at general tweets and such, people have recognized for quite some time that cryptocurrency prices, no matter what the project, no matter what the token, they tend to move in the same direction. There might be a slight bit of lag, but a lot of times all go up, all go down. There are certain situations of which they diverge, but the general sense is they all move together. And there have been a couple hypotheses of why they move together. And Brian, you might have a perspective on that. So why do you think that generally speaking, I mean, we know, you and I know these projects quite well, some of them, and we know that they're very different use cases. They're on different pathways as far as getting to their end goal. So when you look behind the curtain a bit, you know that these projects are very different. So why generally is the market move them all in one direction or the other? What's your perspective? Well, even in very mature markets like the Dow or the NASDAQ, you know, when things are going up, things move up. And when things are going down, things move down. And when gold goes down, so does silver and bronze. So even mature markets act like that. Cryptocurrency markets are fairly immature. And so the feeling on the street, if it's bullish, it's going to be bullish across the board. Now, cryptos with better news than others, you'll see will make more exaggerated moves in a more positive or, or negative direction. If you kind of peel the onion on that a little bit, what's really happening is money is flooding the market. Money will go to Bitcoin. And when Bitcoin is done with a rally, it'll then transition to top altcoins. And then when it's done rallying there, it'll transition to all the others. So yeah, even mature markets move together. I think we can get into a little more detail around Stellar and Ripple, if you'd like. Yeah, uh, yeah. actually, I just want to talk a little bit about that. And, and I see what you're saying is the idea that generally there's some kind of like positive indicator. And that's like the job survey is up or some kind of economic indicator is doing a positive thing. And then you see the Dow Jones or S&P go move together. Often, you'll also see different technologies move together. What is a little curious about this is there are so many projects and there's many different degrees of which the teams behind them have progressed towards their white paper. It is curious that the market, as immature as it is, does treat them like silver and gold, like kind of generally, and not like gold, and then a concept of going to a meteor and mining that meteor for, for <laughs> gold, right? Like someone who's physically here on this planet and is a gold mine, as gold price goes up, I would expect their stock price to go up. But then there's someone who's thinking about shooting a rocket into space, going to a meteor as it crosses our orbit and is going to mine that. And those two things go together. To me, it feels like the market should maybe not make them so correlated since the rocket 
makers are a bit further away from their goal. It, it's also like different cryptocurrencies. The one thing they have in common is that their digital assets run on a blockchain. They could be completely different things. So it's like gold and shoes, right? You know, why would totally, they be moving totally. in the same direction? Yeah. Um, but all they have in common is their, their digital assets. Yep, that's right. Okay, I'm ready to take on the Ripple thing. So yeah, you, you were asking about Ripple. <laughs> we know, we're just generally speaking, the markets tend to move together. But Recently, we saw that lawsuit against Ripple and uh, Stellar. Actually, uh, we saw that both Ripple and Stellar diverge from the market. So this is an example. We were talking about it earlier. Sometimes a project lists a new partner or something specific to a project happens, and then you see its price either go up or go down relative to other tokens. Well, that recently happened with Ripple and Stellar. But what's curious about that is the lawsuit was against Ripple and it was not against Stellar. And so the question is, why did those two, they got singled out. It was clear that they were singled out. And why those two projects? Do you have any perspective on that, Brian? Sure, yeah. I mean, so the, the two projects have similar use cases. They're solving for payments. Uh, they share a co-founder. At one point, they shared a code base. So no matter, no matter how much they diverge, they do have some similarities. And, you know, in the past, if Ripple went up, Stellar would follow it up because the market is saying, oh, the payment space is now of X size and Stellar should demand 10, 15 percent of it, whatever, whatever percent it might be. When Ripple goes down, the market is saying, well, Stellar only demands 10 percent of the payment space, so it should go down as well. But when Ripple is going down for a very specific reason that there's a lawsuit against it, then it's not really saying something about the market. It's saying something about Ripple. And right. so while they did trend down in the same direction for a little while, at one point, the market said, wait a second, this doesn't make any sense. And they started to diverge and Stellar started to move up. I'll add, though, that there is a bit of FUD in the market, fear, uncertainty, doubt, covering a wide variety of top cryptos, Stellar, Cardano, even Ethereum, anything that was started by a group of people that are using the money that they raised to progress their project, there's a fear that it's going to be considered a security. And then when you zoom in on that, well, Stellar is somewhat similar to Ripple. But at one point, the market overcame that fear and Stellar started going in the other direction. Yep, this is true. Now, granted, it's hard to isolate the exact incident. Stellar also had an incredible week, I would say shortly after the lawsuit dropped and they both went down. Stellar had some very Stellar specific news that came out a lot with the stable coins news and then the ukrainian news as well so two positive things definitely happened so the question is were they responding to the news or did they kind of wise up and say hey oh yeah the lawsuit is against ripple and is not about stellar so very curious little topic it's kind of fun to watch and uh you know try to guess of market behavior as an economist this is exactly what what we study is human behavior and and how markets function one more thing I'll, i want to point out and i'm not a market technician i don't look at the chart i don't make try but I do follow kind of human behavior. And the one thing I, I look at that correlates to is volume. And so you see a lot of cryptos, including Stellar, will slowly trend down and down and down. And really, that's just major holders selling or cashing in or, or sometimes the Stellar Development Foundation just paying payroll. And as it kind of trends down slowly, volume will decrease and decrease and decrease and decrease until there isn't anyone left to sell to. Everyone else is saying, I'm holding on for dear life. I'm hodling away. 
And at that point, the market goes, whoa, there's no one to sell to. And a couple people jump in to buy and there's no one to buy from. And it starts to leap. And then more people jump in and it starts to leap faster. And then you get these really steep increases with really high volume, which Stellar got you know, a few weeks ago. And considering the fact that there's no price to earnings ratio or, or a, a very clear way to, to measure what these cryptocurrencies should be at, they just start moving up and there's really no top because no one really has any way to, to determine a valuation. Yeah, no, it's quite difficult to evaluate. And for that, actually, I think that's actually a really good point of transitioning over to the Ripple lawsuit and why Ripple got sued or why Ripple is, is being sued. And that is providing investors information. And I think you just highlighted a, a good point of that is that people are investing in this having a really hard time figuring out what these things might be valued at. A lot of guesswork in these things as it depends on how successful the teams are, how good the use cases is. And even then they're kind of in uncharted territory, right? We This is all brand new. These decentralized public ledgers, it's kind of like, well, is it going to turn into the internet or going to be kind of a niche side piece has value, but isn't quite as big as the internet. So I think people are just trying, or yeah, is it going to totally disrupt the banking industry or is it just going to provide another tool for the banking industry and peer to peer to start playing nice together or have a channel to play with each other? So it's kind of curious. No one really knows. And I think people are guessing. And with that, there's probably a lot of price movement and a lot of speculation. And, and then we see those jumps. Should we go into a little bit about the, the actual lawsuit itself? Yeah, tell us a little bit about the lawsuit and what the Ripple leadership team was attempting to do over the last several years. Yeah, so I won't go quite into what they're attempting to do, but I will say what the lawsuit was. And, I, and this is very simple. So in the United States, we have the Security Exchange Commission and they're soul or they have a complicated mission, but one of the main pieces of their mission is to protect the investor. And so they are suing Ripple, the company, and then two people, specific people, Larson, one of their co-founders, as well as Brad Glaringhouse, their CEO, they are listed in the complaint as defendants. And their argument is that Ripple and these two people were selling a security and you're not allowed to sell a security in the United States without being registered and following a lot of rules, specifically about information, right? They want the individual investors to know certain types of information, including when you sell things, what you're up to, those type of things so that the investor is much equal footing with, with anybody else. So that's the lawsuit in a, in a nutshell. What is curious about that is, is, you know, I talked about this a little bit ahead of time. They listed only two individuals, but we know Ripple's a whole lot bigger than that. Got a, a chief technical officer. It was listed just as that. The chief technical officer is like one. There was no name listed. And we also know that Jed helped found Ripple. Jed is not listed in the complaint at all, but there is an acknowledgement that there was another co-founder. So it was co-founder one, but he is not a defendant and he was not mentioned by name in the actual lawsuit. And so... We have to kind of think through why Ripple was chosen, or at least we can speculate why Ripple was chosen as the security go after, when you could argue that several major cryptocurrencies have exhibited security-like properties. One of my hypotheses is that uh, the SEC is going after them because of their great personal wealth they gave themselves through the process of selling Ripple the security. 
to consumers and wholesale as well. But enriching yourself is not actually has anything to do with the definition of security. It's just something that kind of stands out and looks poorly on Ripple. What does make something actually a security? Yeah, that's a good question. And this is my disclaimer. Neither Brian nor Daniel are lawyers. I will say from what I've read, this is very challenging topic, particularly as it relates to cryptocurrency. I've seen lawyers argue both sides. I've seen and I've heard, you know, quotes from people who used to work at the SEC that say, absolutely not, none of these are securities. And then you hear folks on the other side, whether lawyers that have done this their whole life or currently work at the SEC that say, yes, that some of these are securities. So just that disclaimer, none of us knows, not even people who are experts, there's an argument to be made for both sides. So let's just put that out there. But generally, there is one test that is kind of like the first litman test when it comes to security. It's called the Howey test. And there's four different questions that you have to ask. And then to the extent that if you say yes to questions, and I'll go over them really quickly, it starts looking more and more like a security, but it doesn't necessarily mean it is a security. And that gets into when the lawyers do their thing. And there's a lot of other standards that come into play of whether or not something would be a security. So let's go really quickly through these is, is it an investment of money? Absolutely. Every single cryptocurrency that is offered that you see on the indexes, clearly they have a market price in there. People are buying them. Yes, they are investment of money. There is expectation of profits from the investment. I think that depends. So if you're a stable coin, you're probably not buying that for purposes of investing. You're just storing your money there or finding a convenient place to do it. But some of these other where you're investing in a project or like Bitcoin, you know, that's gone up quite a bit. I know a lot of people are storing their value there and thinking it's an investment as well. That's uh, the second piece. Uh, the investment of money is in a common enterprise. Generally, they're thinking like an entity like Xerox or Intel. A company. A company, exactly. Like it's in a company, but an enterprise isn't always defined as a company or business. It can also be in a project or undertaking. Actually, if you just look up the definition of enterprise, that could fall in there as well. And then the last question is a reasonable expectation of profits derived from the efforts of others. Meaning that, you know, and I would say the clear example would be there was a company involved and that company as it delivers on its mission is going to do well and make revenue and make profits. And then you as the investor get a piece of that through a dividend or just, you know, a growth stock type of thing. So those are the four questions that kind of set the stage, but there's a lot of debate in there. And let me just show you how easy it is to kind of break it, or at least show that there's things that are a lot to be thought about. Let's talk about season tickets, right? Season tickets to a sports franchise. I know people who buy season tickets to sports franchises. Is it an investment of money? Are they putting money to buy those season tickets? Yes. Are they doing it an expectation of profits? Some of them are. Their expectation is they buy the season tickets and if the sports team does well, that they can resell those tickets at higher value than what they bought the whole season for, particularly if they make the playoffs. I know plenty of season ticket holders that do that. I know some that hold them year over year over year with that expectation that if their sports team does well, they will get their money back. And so they actually don't let their seats up because of that. So yes, there is an expectation for profits. The investment is in a common enterprise. Yes, absolutely. A sports team, a franchise. Yes, that is a, that is a certain answer. And reasonable expectation that profits derive from efforts of others. Well, unless they're playing on the field, 
the <laughs> the value of those tickets goes up as the team does well, as the coach coaches the the players and the players execute and and be great athletes. So that yes, absolutely. So in that example, it passed every single one of those tests for someone, and yet they are not a security. I think for good reason, Brian. Why why don't you think NFL tickets or NBA tickets aren't considered a security? Yeah, I'm I'm gonna break that. I'm gonna break that and, and in doing so we're gonna make a corollary to to Stellar and, and Ripple. Um so first of all, is there a reasonable expectation of profit? Well, I don't know if the word reasonable is in there or not, but you know, lawyers love to throw in the word reasonable. So I'm gonna throw it in. Uh, <laughs> it, it is in there. Actually, yeah, reasonable expectation. Yep, it's in there. So when they sell you NFL tickets, they want you door to the game that's what they're saying they're for so they don't think there's an expectation of profit you do now in the case of ripple they told people you can make money on this you can buy it at a great price and you can make money on it you look at stellar what does stellar say about stellar lumens you can pay transaction fees with this now there's an argument to be made that no one is buying it to pay transaction fees but that is what the stellar development foundation is saying in the same way that the football teams are saying, this is not for making money, this is for enjoying a game. And so that kind of weakens the reasonable expectation of profit argument. And then the common enterprise argument. So you're buying season tickets to the Jaguars, but what's gonna make that game fun is when the 49ers destroy them. So that's not a, that's not a common enterprise, that's actually multiple enterprises that add value there. The same with Stellar. I'm buying Stellar Lumens, and I hope Public Node gets their act together and adds value to the Stellar network. I'm not just counting on SDF to provide all of the value. So that kind of breaks the common enterprise argument as well. I don't know if you can, can make that argument for Stellar. I don't know if you can make that argument with Ripple. I just don't know it well enough. Or are you 100% counting on the actions of Ripple Incorporated? Yeah, it's a good question. It actually came up in the actual complaint. If you look at the complaint, I think it's about 70 something pages. They know that they've got to prove that case. And the chief technical officer at one point, and this is is the, you know they quoted a tweet i think it, it was definitely something very informal actually i think it was a forum that they did and people were wondering you know is there a risk here and he said one of the biggest risks are if the great talent at ripple were to leave and so that kind of implies that ripple was driving this whole thing and if ripple disappeared or if they even lost their talent in one way or another they got hired by another firm or something that that in itself was a risk of which to xrp which is you know that came up in the complaint so i think that they're driving that home it was the enterprise ripple was driving this now let's talk about stellar so clearly the sdf helps support the network but i think they've done a better job of being farther removed from it one their nodes, they only have three nodes up there. If you look at the nodes that are actually validating the ledger, and they've been working really hard to make it to the point that they can unplug their nodes and the network still goes. And they can do that today. You can actually go to Stellar Beat. You can run a scenario where the Stellar SDS nodes are offline and you can see the network will still run. So I think right there, it's proven that the network will go on without the SDF. Uh, they haven't unplugged them yet, but they've said for a year or more that that is one of their goals. The other aspect is you see what the node providers are and where the wallet providers are. These are entities that are not the SDF. These are individual entities that are building on Stellar and 
if they don't build on Stellar, the Stellar network won't be anything, right? So you've got to have the Lobster, the CoinQuest, the DStock. You've got to have all these entities coming there and building the network and creating the network effect. So I would argue, and I think this could be argued for a lot of different blockchains and maybe even Ripple. I know that they could have set up something very similar, but the idea is that for Stellar, it does seem it's focusing on the network. And I would argue the strength of a network is not the SDF. It's all the people building on the network. Absolutely. You know, when people are buying Stellar uh, Lumens, they are not going, oh boy, I hope they maintain the code base really well next month. They're thinking to themselves, you know, D-Stock is going to take off. Lobster is going to take off. Different apps are going to use Lumens and stablecoins to do amazing things. That's what's driving the price higher. And so that gets rid of the common enterprise argument. Yeah, actually, I think that's a fantastic concept. So we've had some good upgrades in the protocol and they've come out. And yeah, people aren't saying, oh, great, you've got this great yeah, code base and you've improved your code base, so it's worth more. No, actually, the value proposition is they made their code base more user-friendly and they've removed some barriers so that other entities, it's easier to build on the network. It's not about the code. It's actually about what it might attract and how it makes it easier for entities to work and run on the network. So yeah, I, I completely totally agree with you on there. And this argument of something starting as centralized and moving towards decentralized, the best example of that would be Ethereum, takes us to the family resemblance test. Another legal concept uh, uh, Dr. Daniel will tell us about over here. Yeah. So again, I was just picked up my little Wikipedia, my Google, and, and started looking for information on this. And one of the things that came up with the Howey test was this family resemblance idea. And the idea is if it looks or smells like something that is not a security, that, that we've previously determined is not a security, then maybe it too is not. Or if it looks and smells a whole lot like a security, uh, something that is a security, then then you got a higher bar to cross that maybe you probably are too. So it's this family resemblance. And I think you raise a good point with Ethereum and Bitcoin. I think those being the two leading projects just by sheer market cap and even market volume, they get a lot of attention in the news. And you've heard a lot of experts, even people potentially even working at the SEC or shortly there at the SEC that have kind of said those two projects, at least at their current state of where they've grown to, are looking less and less like a security, particularly with Ethereum. They, I think there's this concept that when Ethereum first launched, it looked a whole lot more like a security than it does now. And that's because the network grew and you had a lot of new players plug into that network. And the more that the Ethereum foundation or the people that founded the foundation are not the sole entity driving the Ethereum network, the less and less it looks like a security. I've seen some quotes, and I, I can't remember their names, but you just Google it, that there are a lot of experts out there saying that Ethereum as it exists today does not look like a security. And Stellar is kind of building this very similar thing. So to my mind is that as Stellar keeps growing, it becomes less and less like a security and similar to Ethereum. So you're, you're kind of rooting for each other in this. I've seen, you know, Brad Glaringhouse said this and the person who did Cardano, everybody says, you know, this is an attack on all of us. And to some degree, it kind of is in the fact that if Ripple succeeds here, or if Ethereum grows to a point that they're no longer considered a security, it's now giving you benchmarks, family resemblance, there's a way to create these projects and not be considered a security from the standpoint of the SEC in the United States. It's a little bit of a wacky topic because it, it's, you know, day one, Ethereum raises a ton of money and it's a security. 
And then the SEC doesn't sue him for a while and oh whoops now it's not a security so it's it's a very strange topic and i think if i ran the world we would add a fifth point to the howie test which is are you enriching yourself with the money as the central entity and i'd adjust the point about expectation of profit and change that to is the central entity telling you that there's an expectation of profit when you buy apple stock there's an investor relation hotline where you can call them up and they basically market for you to buy Apple stock. Stellar would never do that. I know people that worked at SDF and they get shushed for even talking about XLM. Yeah. They're not allowed to talk about price. It's clear. They've said that before. I can't talk about price ever. So that, that's what's neat about these podcasts. We can talk about price. Exactly. <laughs> and and they uh, they, they've, made such a, they've made such a strong point about it that perhaps they've heard something from the SEC or from a lawyer that said, that's probably a distinguishing point because they've made a, a strong point of it. Yeah. And I think you actually raise a good point. If you look into this, so the Howey test, look at that, the family resemblance. These are just kind of the start of the discussion. There was a document and actually I brought it up. Look up digital securities, cryptocurrency on the SEC's website. And it lists, I think, 25 or more factors that they consider. And some of those factors are when you raise money. Was it a whole lot of money that like enriched yourself or was it just enough money to basically deliver on whatever the use case or the network or whatever it is that you were trying to do? So clearly the amount of money is important. The enriching factor of individuals is important. So there's a lot of different factors that play into ultimately whether or not they decide to go after you. And, and that's clear from the Ripple complaint particularly of those two individuals, it came up a lot and big numbers were thrown. We're talking like $600 million type of enrichments. And again, I don't know what the Howey test as you read it doesn't come up to it, but it's clearly something that the SEC does not like. It came up repeatedly. I'll give my kind of closing words here and then you can give your final thoughts too, Daniel. Talking about the price of XLM and what will make it go up is not the duty of SDF. In fact, it's the duty of SDF to not talk about it. And so as the Stellar community, yes, let's prioritize the increase of the XLM token. That will make us all profit and it will give STF more money to play around with. So let's let's get together. Let's basically lobby for things that increase the price of XLM. And let's also decentralize the community by starting more of our own projects. Daniel and I have, have both invested quite a bit of time in Stellar, but speaking personally, I can say I've been paid back tenfold. Um, there's funds you can enter, there's people you can meet, there's jobs you can get, and it's just a, it's just a fabulous community. And whatever kind of support you need, financial or otherwise, it is there. And as someone that is not part of STF, you can kind of play in the sandbox however you want. No one is going to sue you. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, yeah. I won't say I won't go that far, but you're right. Yeah, yes, you're you're. Uh, we have much if we're just trying to support the network, and actually, that's what Public Node is trying to do: support the network through the community. The price, you know, actually, I'm I'm probably a little bit further away from you than than uh, than what you just said, Brian. And that's you know, I think the price is interesting to talk about. Of course, we all want the price to go up. Why? Because if the price is going up, it probably means that the network is starting to do what it was designed to do, and that's provide value to everybody, right? And people are using the network and we know that the lumen is kind of a of a test or a litman test of how 
in my mind, how successful the network's working, right? And so as that goes up, it must be their their network has demand, and that means it's it's doing what it's supposed to do. So anyway, I would recommend that people focus on ways, actions. How do you get more people to start building on the network? How do you build on the network yourself? Those type of things will naturally increase the XL on price. And I think you raise a good point with the Stellar Community Fund. SDF has funds available earmarked to help developers or people in the community members help even just educate people on the Stellar network to the public. Take advantage of those. As Brian said, I mean, that's how public nodes started. And so that's how we're able to pay our bills. That's how we're able to pay our for our servers and, and all of that. So I would encourage you to do it that way and uh, build it and they will come kind of to some degree is let's keep building, let's build together. And then as you do that, the, the laws of economic supply and demand you would think would improve the price of XLM and it'll keep going up, which will also make it more attractive. People will pay attention to it, put it that way. And if you don't know where to start, come join the public node discussion. It's five bucks a month and the benefits are really tremendous. You get to talk to an, a very diverse array of people building really interesting projects. Uh, it's how I started my first project on Stellar. So thanks for listening to today's episode. Prices are interesting and prices create profits, but prices also lead you down a road of learning more about what the cryptocurrencies do and about finances and about economics and about becoming a more active member in the Stellar community. And that is kind of why we started with prices today and we pivoted to SEC and lawsuit and the difference between Ripple and Stellar. We encourage you to jump down the rabbit hole as well. And if you have any questions, the public node forums are always open. They are. And I will invite this. If you are a lawyer and a security exchange, can you feel knowledgeable to explain about this and teach us a little bit and what your take is? We'll bring you on. Bring you on the podcast. Let's talk about it. Let's bring in a real professional and see where the discussion is. So thanks for listening to us today.